SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name's Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? Not me over here drinking coffee at 7 p.m. on a Monday night. So you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, it's August 1st, baby. College football is back. Kind of. I mean, practices <laughs> are back. It's, practices it's back. are back. August, it's back. All right. August yeah. 1st. Everyone was, I saw a tweet today. Someone was like, August is the worst month because there's no real football yet. Um, there's like, this says all these things it's too hot like blah 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 and i was like what is this person's problem people who hate the summer are i don't understand it just like like, this is the best month this is my birthday month it's leo season we have college football practices we have 27 days 26 days till kickoff come on man the sun is shining let's go for pointing out bad months look at february or somewhere like Mm -hmm. that where that's when yeah. there's really no sports going on other than like NBA and NHL regular seasons, but not even like the heat of the playoff rush yet. And yeah, if you live up north, the weather's terrible. So terrible. Can't go outside for anything. So yeah, no. February, by far the worst month in all actuality. Uh, for me right now, August, it's about the trade deadline in baseball. I'm very scared of what the Red Sox are about to do in the next 24 hours mm-hmm. of us recording this. They've already moved Christian Vasquez. They've already, uh, Jake Deacon uh, got moved. And yeah. I saw some player was giving an interview and they, I don't know who it was. And I'm not as dialed into baseball as I used to be because I used to work in it. But it's such like a grind. Once you're out of it, you're like, all right, let me breathe. But I saw a video of somebody and they were asking him, oh, do you know you just got traded? And he was like, yeah, you know, I just heard that. Like, it's the nature of the business. And then that was a, I believe that was Vasquez for the Red Sox. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it was now that you're saying that because they said Red Sox. And then the Red Sox media PR was like pulling him away as he was giving that interview. Baseball is tough. Uh, it is a tough sport. To them anymore. Uh, you know what's wild about that? Well, there's a couple of things. First off, he was the longest tenured Red Sox player, traded to save mm-hmm. like $2 million. Good job, John Henry. Uh in a supposedly a league where the Red Sox are a big spending team and they never actually act like it, whatever. He's a homegrown guy. Who would want to keep those types of clubhouse guys around? And they traded him to the team they're playing tonight. So he had to like That's literally crazy. walk across the field to the other. That's actually like not the worst case scenario, though, if you're a player. At least you don't have to get on a plane anywhere. Like you're already there. Yeah, don't get me wrong. The travel is easier, but it's so emotional. Think about yeah. that. You have to take the emotion out of baseball because this is what happens to these guys. It's crazy. Sad. Yeah. Anyways. Go Red Sox. Anyways. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we're still doing our AAC season previews, so we should Mm -hmm. focus away from baseball and get to the... uh, it's okay to get a little sports talk out in the beginning. Like, I think, you know, talk about what's going on in our emotional state and everything, but... Yeah, I am excited to dive into this preview because it doesn't have Cincinnati in it. And um, it's three teams that I think are like, you know how you 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 tweeted back at that guy about his media, like medium take, like a, like oh, a yeah. lukewarm take. Yeah. This is like the lukewarm part of our preview, I feel like, because these teams aren't bad and they should be doing like ostensibly they should do well, um, at least SMU and, and Memphis. But um, will they? Who knows? So it's kind Actually, of an interesting middle group. I think I think I want to transition straight into Memphis with that mm-hmm. kind of comment from you because it leads me to this very interesting question I think I have about Memphis football in the year 2022. What does a okay. good season look like? Yeah, now, that's a good for question. For most of Memphis's history, they've been a mediocre program. But in the last decade under Fuente and Norvell, they were really like a great program. Mm-hmm. Now, you've moved on past Norvell, you're into year three of Silverfield. Yeah. What what does a good season look like now? What yeah. what would a Memphis fan consider a good season? Because it's easy to get drawn into expecting 10 and 2 every year or 9 and 3 and not be realistic that maybe 7 and 5 is a really good year for you. Yeah. And I think that's tricky because I do think Memphis is good enough to go to a bowl game this year. I do like a lot about them. I don't necessarily think they're good enough to compete for the conference, though. You know what I mean? So, like, is the expectation they compete for the conference? Because if it is, you go, well, then Ryan Silverfield hasn't really done that yet. 
No. But should that be the expectation at Memphis? It's. I mean, I feel like it's the expectation every school in the in every conference that they realistic though. (laughs) But seriously, let's be real. Yeah. Vanderbilt does not go into the SEC expecting to win the conference. (laughs) They hope to win a game in the conference. I mean, mean? and I'm not saying Memphis is Vanderbilt, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Every team has has a historical kind of expectation. When we get to Tulane, it's the same thing. Historically, Tulane is terrible at football. So what Willie Fritz has done. That's why you say six and six might not seem good if you're like, well, you gotta go ten and two and go to a major bowl. But that's great for that program. Yeah, I guess it's relative. That's what you're saying. Is it's it's a relative theory. Everything's relative. And what does yeah. So my question to you then is do you put Silverfield? So you talk about coaches in the national hot seat. You look at Scott Frost at Nebraska. I mean, I don't even dare you say Harson at Auburn. Like obviously, why? Obviously, in the um, hot seat. He's I mean, I know, but like I feel it. like you can't even you don't even I, say that because it's like <laughs> it's too obvious. Yeah. yeah. Uh Steve Sarkeesian at Texas already. Sure. Just I, I they're I, not gonna I, fire him because of Arch Manning, though. The guy get Arch on campus. If he first. actually if he goes he, well, that's what I'm saying. The guy get Arch on campus first. You can't fire him before Arch we'll stuff, see. before Arch signs. Not until Arch signs. I've seen weirder things happen um, to Steve Sarkeesian. So, Dino Babers um, up at Syracuse is another guy herm edwards at asu <laughs> different experiment that different, failed <laughs> different circumstances with uh yes. all the uh all the, NCAA the violations yeah. going on yes so well, like, i mean another, you can't bring in an nfl practice. coach and expect him to run it like but no but to keep to keep it to the pac-12 though a good one from last mm. year was jimmy lake at washington what's the mm. expectation at washington versus what he provided I think that's actually that's that's probably more comparable to what Silverfield's going through in that Jimmy Lake's still still new, still recovering from what Peterson left behind, which was actually he was a lot of staff and inherited it. He yeah. was, but it was a lot messier than anyone let on, than anybody really knew. Um, and once you know Peterson made his exit, it became apparent that there was a lot of shit going on. So that being said, you know, some of his staff got gutted as well. Um so yeah, that's a good comparison, I guess. So Silverfield seat is hot, but not not, not burning. Hot not burning okay. by any means. But this I mean, is a big year for him. Yeah, he's fourteen and ten in two years at Memphis. That includes yeah. the Cotton Bowl uh, loss to Penn State last year. They were six and six, three and five in conference. Didn't get a chance to play the Hawaii Bowl. That was canceled because of everything going on within the Hawaii program at that time. Or yeah. not to relitigate yeah. that. Not to go back on that. Yeah, I can't go back. I can't go back. We, we won't relitigate. Uh, uh, sorry. Memphis, in terms of returning production, is 49th in the country with 70% returning production. That's 70% offense, 70% on defense, real even and equal there. Uh, yeah. Two new coordinators, though. Uh, McIntyre took the FIU job. Kevin Johns is at Duke now. Uh, good for them. Both, I guess you'd say, moving up back up in the world uh, to a power five coordinator job and a head coaching job again for McIntyre. Tim Cramsey, mm-hmm. the former Marshall offense coordinator, yeah. I believe, right? Uh, yes. And he's taking over as the OC at Memphis. Then Matt Barnes, who was a position coach, I believe, defensive backs at Ohio State last season, is taking over as the defense coordinator. So we'll see what that does for scheme changes mm-hmm. and everything else that goes along with that as time goes on. Hard to predict in August, though. Uh, yeah, I, I think Memphis is one of those teams we don't hear a lot about nationally. There's not, you know, there's no, if you Google it, there's not a ton of news. There's not a lot of people speaking. So I was really looking forward tonight to speaking with Tim Cramsey. Um, we, we had a little tete-a-tete set up. He had family obligations. So hopefully I'm going to chat with him tomorrow and just kind of get a feel for what the offense is looking like heading into this year. Um, mm-hmm. I did, I did get to talk to someone around the program. I won't you know, divulge too much, but they, they, this person does work uh, with the offense. And he said that he likes Seth um, and they were surprised that Seth doesn't get more love nationally than he has given he was a freshman All-American. You think people would be talking about him, which is a fair point. And that spurred you to look into his numbers. Did it not? It did. Uh, he had massive numbers last year. Yeah. I, I texted them to you. I didn't write them down from me. It was 25 mm. touchdowns and I forget the yardage, but it was a big number for yardage. Thirty. Let's I think. see. I do have our text combo right here. You said three thousand three hundred twenty-two yeah. yards and twenty-five touchdowns. That's a really that's good year. Pretty as good. A freshman. So as I a mean, freshman, that's really yeah. good. Yeah. 
I think, uh, I, and my my response to him is, I think people are wary. I think the the jump from freshman to sophomore year is a big one. So, and with Memphis losing the offense offensive weapons, they did. Yeah. That's a concern. You, you can't yeah. go in thinking, okay, he had this great freshman year. It's it's only going to be up and up. There's a very realistic chance that it goes backwards. You and know, we talk, we, I know we like to talk about Michael Pratt on the show, and mm-hmm. I am higher on him than you. But sometimes you don't develop the way people expect you yeah. to. Sometimes yes. you get a new offensive coordinator and the system changes just enough or something about it stunts your growth. You know what I mean? I, I have all the faith in the world in Cramsey, but you know, this isn't enough time. This is a, a, sh- a short turnaround for him to, to figure out how yes. this is going to go forward. So I, I thought one of the more interesting points that this um, person on the staff told me is that they think that Memphis is top to bottom better skill wise, which is interesting because you look at the departures and Calvin Austin being the exactly. I mean, that yeah. was, that was the number one, one he mentioned, he said, Calvin was really, really good. Um, they don't have a guy like that, but, and this is something I think you agreed with. He said, they've got a lot of guys that are good, um, and figure out how to be where they're supposed to be instead mm-hmm. of in the past when it just seemed like, Hey, you know, you guys go wherever and we're just mm-hmm. going to put Calvin out there by themselves, by himself and throw the ball mm-hmm. down. Yeah, and I hope that the way that's the way it works out for Memphis that you get yeah. instead of one star wide receiver who gets double or triple teamed and everyone else mm-hmm. gets ignored, you do get a bunch of guys that you have to respect, even if none of them are a guy you have to fear. If that makes yeah. sense, because there's also the other side of that coin is that someone goes, Well, none of them are any good though. But that's you know, what like, he okay, their, so that was stealing versus like that was my encounter, but He's and I think what what my I don't want to say source because that's weird, but what my friend inside the program is saying well, is that these guys. <laughs> I know, but source makes it sound like it's breaking Emily, news. This is yeah. breaking news. Emily Schefter, Ben Buskirk here. <laughs> Hardly, but you look at guys like Javon Ivory, Eddie Lewis. They combined for you know a decent <laughs> amount of catches last year. I think it was like yeah. fifty-one. And he's saying that those guys, they know how to do their job. They work well as a unit. So I think instead of these big plays that we're used to with Memphis on offense and on defense, I think we're going to see a more cohesive unit um, moving forward from this Memphis team, which I think bodes well, because if you want to beat these big teams in the AAC, you have to work together as opposed to just hanging somebody out there on an island and being like, hey, go beat this defense by yourself. That's crazy. No, and I think it's tough for me to, I guess it's tricky for this one, because the one I think of right away for that type of problem is the UCF game, but then I remember Seth Hennigan didn't play in that game because of injury, so it's a little right. bit different uh, right. when you have your backup quarterback on. But they got nothing done on offense in that game, and it really felt like they were just closing their eyes and throwing to Calvin Austin and against a good secondary right. like UCF. It just didn't work. No, you know? that was a really tough game. They only put up seven points. I mean, yeah, but to be they only gave up 24, which... Well, UCF's okay. offense was a little bit funky last year with Mikey yeah. King, very inexperienced and he was playing before he was ready. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. We'll, we'll talk about UCF when it's time to talk about UCF. Yeah. Stop bringing up UCF. Stop okay, trying to make UCF happen. an example for the wide receivers and UCF right, what do, what do you UCF's think? big 12. So let's, you know, I could talk all day about uh, Memphis's offense, but what do you think about their defense and, and where, where's the line moving forward for that? Because it was good, but it was, it was, not, now I you mean, have to turn over. And again, you have the same problem that offense has where you're turning over the coordinator. Now yeah. you can run the same, you know, system on defense and that, but you're still, you know, differences just in how they, you know, prepare just in how the calls work, just in how their play calling is decided. Yeah. And the attitude, there's so many things beyond just if you run a four, three or a three, four or what have you defense that go into it. So those things again in August are impossible to tell right now. Yeah. I'm concerned about this. Anything's got to be better than allowing over 418 yards a game. I was, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was just third down say. alone. They were terrible. So I think they only, they've only got to go up, you know, cause you look at fifth year senior Quinnell Johnson coming yeah. back. He had 104 stops. He's a safety. Yeah. He's an How, all, Yeah. He's, that, that's how bad. is that happening that's where that happens. guy is leading your team <laughs> that's what happens when you have a bad front seven is that the safeties have to make yeah, the tackles in the running game he is an all AAC kind of talent he is all AAC talent right there mm-hmm. from safety mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that he has any other help in the secondary whatsoever if we're being honest yeah. uh, 
I know and they, they're using transfers to try to bolster the linebacking core. I like a guy named Jeffrey Canton Arku, which I'm hoping I'm pronouncing correct, who was at Syracuse last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 tackles for a loss in the last two seasons. So I like what he brings to the table there. I'm a big Greg Rubin girl myself, hometown hero over there, young guy, but I think okay. this, I think he's going to step up this year. I, this is what I love about Memphis. Bunch of guys you've never heard of, but are actually really interesting, like storylines, fun to watch, like guys. That's what I like about Memphis, like hometown hero type guys. So oh, for sure, Memphis. a lot like ECU in that vibe. You know what I mean? Well, Memphis is one of those really good schools from the transfer portal era. I feel like, cause you're in a place where a lot of guys who might look at Memphis as a kind of a backup school, but they want to go play in the SEC or they want to go play in the mm-hmm. Big 12. They're, yeah. You know, if you're like a, a guy from Memphis and say, I don't know, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Ole Miss offer you along with Memphis, well, again, let's just be realistic. You're probably going to go to one of those SEC schools. But then you get there and you go, not everything I expected, whatever yeah. it had, you know, whatever reason you might Whatever the reason. Going yeah. back home to Memphis is always a good option. So I think it's yeah. a school that can thrive in that era. Uh, they have to try make, defense though mm-hmm. to get thrive in yeah. there because they're it's they will. I think it'll be better. It can't get worse. So I think it's going to be better. Uh, last note I'll say on special teams, they've got the same guy, Joe Doyle, kicking and punting. We love we love a dual threat Hi. kicker punter. This is a team. If you look at their history, just has a shocking amount of great kickers who have come through that program. Actually, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I could name one for you, but I feel uh, like I, I remember that. I believe Stephen Gostowski for one, a Patriots kicker for a very long time. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, a bunch of guys, and not to well, I'm, again, I'm not relitigating the kickers. It's just a of note. No, it's, I, I, th- I just, I always think it's interesting. They're good. At. I think, I think it's interesting when they have a guy doing both um, field goals, five of seven. Mm-hmm. Not great, but you know, he averaged 46 yards per punt. Um, allowing just eight, 89 return yards all year. So uh, a little better better on the that's punting side. Time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing about those guys who do both is they're usually better at one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like, fair, uh, so. No. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> let's look at their schedule yeah, let's uh, just quickly before we move on. And then start the season at Mississippi State. Then they travel to Navy. Then they go home for four straight games against Arkansas State, North Texas, Temple, and Houston. Uh, then they go back on the road for ECU, on the road for Tulane. They hit their bye week before hosting UCF, hosting Tulsa, hosting North Alabama. That'll be a tough one. And then traveling to SMU in the year. Not the worst schedule, but also not a lot of ability to get in rhythm, I feel like. There's just a it's lot a of... weirdly chunky schedule yeah. for their home games, I yeah. feel like. That was the first thing it's, that jumped out to me is their home games are all in two different stretches. Yeah, and in like weird places, and the the one the games that are between them are are tough. In the AAC, it's tough to play at ECU. It's no cakewalk at Tulane. Sometimes SMU is going to be a really hard environment, especially to end the year. And Navy, if you're going to play them, playing them there is not ideal because you got to travel. And, and not just that, but playing Navy a week after you play in SEC that <laughs> yeah. frankly wants to smash you in the teeth with the way yes, last year's yes. game went. Last year's game was yeah. funky, uh, at best, I'd say. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was the weird kick return thing that mm-hmm. Mississippi State got screwed on that they're very Whatever. mad about. They were so I don't care. Mad. I was happy to see Memphis win that game, and I'll be happy if Memphis beats them here. I don't I just that's happening, though. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's happening, but that's, maybe. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, Arcan- I mean, you go through the non-conference real quick. Arkansas State's a weird team as they should be better than they were last year, but they were really yeah. bad last year. Uh, North Texas, that's a future uh, AAC opponent, mm-hmm. but they were funky last year too. When they started, yeah, they're not they're not the strongest. So no. that's like Memphis said, should win that. And then at the end, yeah. North Alabama is a cupcake game at the end of the year. <laughs> frankly, yeah, um, yeah, didn't draw Cincinnati, and that's a pretty good yes. win at all times. Still get Houston, UCF, SMU, EC. But they get them at home. Like. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Houston of, and UCF at home. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's you know, not bad. Ball's a tough place to play. The thing is, you can mm-hmm. tell me any range of records for the next year, and I'd kind of believe you. I think they're actually one of the most interesting teams in the conference because of that. Because you told me they go like nine and three this year, next year. I really would believe that. I'd also believe mm-hmm. six and six. And I'd also kind of believe missing a ball yeah. game if things don't break their way. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is who knows? But and that's who a knows? bad yeah. that's a bad preview, but it's 
I mean, but that's fair with a team like that. I understand it. I'm hoping to get out to Houston for that Friday night game, October 7th. Check out the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, I love I love Memphis. So we'll see. I'm going to try and talk to Tim Cramsey tomorrow, get some more clarity on what's going on with the Tigers offense. And I will report that back next podcast. But for now, that's what we've got about Memphis. Yeah. So we're moving on, moving on to the Navy midshipmen Uh, last season. Last season, Navy went four and eight, three and five in conference. That I don't think does how good this team was justice last year, though. I really don't. You forgot about the little asterisk that says, but they beat Army. They beat that was Army. Like, that's the, that's but, it for the season, but they beat but also, Army. They, in that four and eight record, they beat Army, they beat UCF, and they scared the crap out of Houston, Cincy, ECU, and SMU. All yeah. of those were one score games. Uh, yeah. There was also internal, tor- ter- internal turmoil they were going through as uh, Chet Gladchuk, the athletic director, fired offense coordinator Ivan Jasper without the head coach's like knowledge. And it was just kind of a weird disaster that you don't see out of Navy that often because it you know they usually keep stuff in house better than that. Uh, yeah. One good thing about last year for Navy, one really good thing other than beating Army, they found their quarterback in Ty Labate who can run that triple option really well. The guy who can make smart decisions with the ball quickly and who can actually throw the ball enough that you have to respect it, which is the thing Xavier Arline, who was a great athlete, couldn't do. As long as he stays healthy, I think that they could actually be pretty good this year. Maybe, again, maybe not show up in the win column because it's tough when yeah. maybe and you're dealing with a talent disadvantage, but definitely scare basically every team they play. It's really hard for Navy. And the more that I talk to Ken about the coach, Ken, about that, like the worse I feel for him, because I don't know what I would do if I'm in his position and have to deal with NIL, which you can't, can't compete with NIL, can't compete with the transfer portal. Um, You know, you're inherently, you run talented players just by the nature. Right. And what you're doing is so much bigger than the sport anyways, but it's just, I don't know. I they run on sheer force of will, uh, you know. It, it, sometimes, so it's mm-hmm. it's like you can't say anything bad about Navy, but yeah, they're a little bit in a rut. So hopefully, they capitalize on that momentum from the beating Army. You know, at the end of the year, that was a big deal for them. That rolls over into camp. Every time I've talked to them on media availability, they seem very fired up. Um, I talked to Jason McDonald about the the fullbacks room and, and the offense there, and just creating problems for people and. You hope that Ty Lavate is just going to have keep getting better and have a better year. And I mean, that's really all healthy. you can he say. Missed, he missed some time with injury last year, though. He needs to be healthy yeah. for it to work. Uh, exactly. I'll say I do like. Uh, I'm going to get the name incorrect, by the way. Uh, Kai Paolo <laughs> Rojas, who's a slot back for them. I think he's going to have a good year. Yes. Uh, the fullbacks, I think, are interesting because they are so important to Navy. But yeah. Got to you know. They're a little bit unproven this year. Anton Hall Jr. is currently the top listed fullback mm-hmm. on the depth chart, but uh, you'll probably see three or four different fullbacks get significant touches throughout the season as they try to figure out who the best option is. Uh, there's also, I think, worth pointing out a new cut blocking rule coming to uh, the NCAA that's going to, not to get into the murky details of the cut blocking rules, it's going to limit even more where and how you can cut block, which hurts Navy's offense because it's so it's based on cut blocking and I'm not going to dive into the details of it because I don't think anyone cares about the exact details of how you cut block and where you're allowed to now. Um, the defense is also interesting because it's the Brian yeah. defense where they kind of don't have a set system. They line up and they try to confuse you more often, which is again, pressure and confusion for the read on the quarterback is how they overcome sometimes being less athletic and smaller. Yeah, but it's still very tough for them to do that. They've got very young corners. There's some experience on the D line, but again, the talent's just deficient compared to say a Cincinnati offensive line or a Houston offensive line. Uh, Will Harbor is the guy going to be asked to replace Diego Fugo. He's not mm-hmm. going to be able to replace him in entirety. Diego Fugo is way too good to be able to just like to just replace the production. Just yeah, it's going to be taking a hit. It's tough. Speaking of production, yeah. by the way, Navy's 120th in returning production, which isn't great. Uh, no. Again, things I like about them. I think they've got a chance to scare every single team they play, including Cincinnati and Notre Dame. Uh, does that mean they'll have a winning record? I don't know. You know what I mean? Probably not, to be honest. 
but who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, you pretty much. Full stop. No. You said it all. I mean, I don't. I was just sorry. Yeah. Um, you went on a tear. Very passionate I, I about do. Navy. That's interesting. I, I love Navy. I love watching Navy football. I think the coaching staff there, guys like Kenny Matalolo and Ivan Jesper, are great like, human beings on a human being level. And it is a special part, like this, the academies in general, I find to be a, a very special part of college football that gets a little bit overlooked by mainstream fans for the guys who are going to be in the NFL one day and, you know, big time schools with 100,000 people on them. But I think they're one of the most unique parts about college football is that you've got service academies playing alongside everyone else. And they've run their own unique offenses and they kind of have their own thing where winning the commander in chief's trophy is more important than winning a bowl game for them, which yeah. by the way, I think is very much in play for Navy this year winning the commander in chief's trophy. So, yeah, you know, I will say this about their, you know, when your entire identity is based on the run game, which I love, do not get me wrong. Um, they do it. I think they run the ball better than anyone in the country. They were eighth in the nation and rushing, but the problem is the 3.9 yards per carry yes, was that, the fewest of, I think that's, yeah, that's always a problem. And yeah. So that, the, that's also what I like about Lavate more than our line at quarterback is he has just enough ability to throw the ball where you have to respect it. Or if you, they're not respecting it, maybe he burns you once or twice a game. Our line mm-hmm. could never burn you. Like there were times you would throw the ball and you go, Oh my God, it's 20 yards away from the receiver. He meant it to go to. Yeah. Uh, though he's a great athlete. I wouldn't be surprised if you see our line playing slot back. Yeah. My other thing about their defense is um, takeaways. And I think this mm. is, again, th- these are all common sense things, but you're looking at a team that had like seven interceptions, I think last year. And then you look at the great Navy teams of years past 2019, where they won 11 games and 2015, when they won 11 games, they had over 20 interceptions, you know, 27 mm-hmm. interceptions in 2015, 22 in 2019. Mm-hmm. I guess last year they had maybe 14, I think total it's, yeah. it's just has to be more. They have, they it have does. to generate more chaos. They in need that to give their, yeah. So. They do need to give their offense short fields to work with. Sometimes it helps out a ton with that offense. Yeah. Uh, I but also I, get... I think part of it being able to create turnovers like that, it helps when the offense is working maybe the way it's supposed to, because if the offense comes out, has an say an 85 yard touchdown drive to start the game that takes up seven and a half minutes. And then next thing coming out, whoever they're playing goes, I don't know, three and out. And then they go and have another seven minute field goal drive. Now you're feeling pressure to score because you're like, how many possessions is this going to be? And you start throwing the ball (laughs) all over the field and that can create opportunities. But if you're, yeah, you know what I mean? But if you're up by three scores in the third quarter and their offense isn't doing much, teams aren't going to throw the ball. They don't feel the need to. So it does affect yeah. too. I mean, I, I think I, if they can get close to 20, I think we'll see, you know, yeah. a positive winning season with, with the possible bowl game. So that's something to, to keep in mind. We can keep an eye on that and maybe I'll do a Navy, you know, interception watch as we go through the season, because it'll be interesting to see if those correlate. Um, yeah. But I think other than that, that's could look at their schedule real quick. If we want, mm-hmm. you're the best at reading through it. So go for it. Oh, me. What an honor. Yeah. Uh, they start the season with Delaware at home, Memphis at home. Then they get one of their two bye weeks. They're one of the very few teams that get two bye weeks in a season. Uh, then they travel to ECU. Then they go at Air Force, host Tulsa, at SMU, host Houston, host Temple, travel to Cincinnati. They play Notre Dame in Baltimore. Uh, then they travel to UCF, get their next bye week. I think it's technically a double bye because you got the conference championship game in there. So unless they go to that game, it's a double buy before playing army in Philadelphia to end the season. Uh, it's an yeah. interesting schedule. I think it's, I mean, Notre Dame every year is tough. That, that's part of what makes it so tough. I think for Navy to even be in a conference is you've got three out of conference teams every single year that are selected for you. Uh, Notre Dame who by its nature kicks your butt 19 out 20 times. They're tough. It just is. Again, we talk about that talent gap between Navy and the average AAC school. Well, Navy versus Notre Dame is just a thousand times worse in terms of that talent gap. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. It just is. Uh, no, Kenny Amatolo has had more success against Notre Dame than any Navy coach in the last 60 or 70 years now, basically. He's also been there forever, which well, is probably. Yeah, Paul Johnson in 2007, I want to say it was, was the first Navy coach since, like, Roger Starbuck was there to actually beat Notre Dame. And they play every year, you know. Uh, but Paul Johnson immediately jetted after that year for Georgia Tech. Ken was his offense coordinator at the time got promoted to head coach and has since been in Notre Dame two or three times, which is given what had happened before him since Roger Starbuck, pretty impressive against Notre Dame, but still not like a thing you can expect to happen. Uh, you know, I will say this. I talked to their SAD today, Scott Strauss. He's incredible. And he was like, come out to a game because we were trying to decide for our schedule, what we're going to cover. And I really am Obviously, we're going to do the Navy versus Army game again that's in Philadelphia this year, which I'm really excited about checking out. But I'm trying to pick another a home game because I've never been out to Annapolis. So I want I want to see it. So um, what do you think of all these home games that they have? That would be the best. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I don't yeah. know what your schedule looks like. Otherwise, I really well, I circle the Houston game as a home game this year because I, I mean, it's, it's too many that, Houston games for me. I can't Houston. watch that much we'll Houston skip them. football. We'll skip them. <laughs> it's, a shame, it's a shame Air Force game is happening at Air Force rather than at Navy because that would have been the easy one. Yeah, uh, good call. Tulsa could be a really interesting game. I know. I was thinking that too, but the and that's probably like the one if we try and make it happen that we do. But that's tough because I also want to go to Tulsa. So it's like. You're already going to Memphis, which would leave Temple for conference games or Delaware. I know. Which yeah, I mean, you're not going week one though to Delaware. October Delaware. Temple in that's um ha- Halloween weekend. I don't know, man. I can't, I'm saying I want to go to a lot of games, but I'm running out it, of weeks within to to go to them. So it, it's tough. We get like 13 or 14 weeks a season. You think you have games. a lot, but it's yeah, yeah, 13 or 14. If you want to go to every AAC school, that's like your whole schedule plus. You do obviously. Well, the, what you, you got to do is you got to look at Thursday night games, Friday night games, and that's how you fit in um, more than one in a weekend. Yeah. And usually, our goal is to try and do, you know, two in a weekend if we can because it maximizes coverage. Like yeah. we're going to go. I think right now we're heavily favored in the UMass Tulane opener Ooh. because the next day at the Saint Stadium, LSU plays Florida State. So that way we can get two games in New Orleans. Um, Oh, so we're looking plus a weekend in New Orleans. I yeah, and I think we're gonna bring Joey out to that. So it should be um yeah, a get good Joe, time. get Joey Chestnut to a UMass game. That's what's important here. <laughs> well, I think it's a two-lane game featuring UMass, but yes, that's John Brown's first game at UMass. Ooh. It'll be interesting, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, but I'll make my way out to Navy at some point. Overall, Navy, a lot of hope. But like I'm saying with this group of three that we're doing today, a lot of hope. It's a lot question of, marks, though. Like, yeah, so many question marks. Look at the schedule, and I know you're not giving numbers on any of this, but I could see nope. Navy going 2-10 and 10 or 7-5. and five. Either one would be. I'd perfectly believe you. I wouldn't flinch at it. You know what I mean? I don't know about two. Oh, I could. Two I could see. 10, I could see a disaster. Not... Oh boy. I could see it being a I don't believe that the, because well, I have faith lose, in Kitchkin. I, I do have faith in him. I think he's a great coach, but I'm just yeah. saying it's really tough. It is it's tough. It's very out there tough. These, it's tough out there in these AAC streets. I, yeah, it, it just is. It is. All right, right. Last, we're moving through this. Last team Correct. on the chopping block tonight, the SMU Mustangs. It's so oh. funny. SMU, I like I want them to have a more majestic mascot but when i say smu mustangs it makes me think of like the girls soccer team i played in eighth grade the mustangs and i'm just like ah such a letdown because i'm like yeah smu mustangs well what do you think would be a better nickname i want to hear your pitch that's a really good question let me let me i'll circle back to that i'll answer that in the next week's podcast okay i was gonna say next week's podcast i'll come up with a better smu mascot okay it's going to be great, whatever it is. So I mean, they're in Dallas, so maybe uh, the fighting Lee Harvey Oswalds. <laughs> no, I'm going to come up with a really good one. Everyone's going to be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Okay. All yeah. right, SMU, here we go. Yeah. Last season, they went 8-4, and 4-4 four, four and four in conference, were selected to go to the Fenway Bowl, which was canceled. Uh, Virginia chose mm. to cancel due to COVID issues. 
Sonny Dykes left the team for TCU. That's your iron mm. skillet rival. That kind of a little kick in the shin. Uh, last season. Opened up the door for a great new hire and then much needed injection of youth into this Lashley. program. Yeah. Brett, Brett Lashley, Lashley, who had previously been an offense coordinator for Gus Malzahn at Auburn, had been Sonny Dykes' offense coordinator at SMU, had taken the Miami job uh, for one or two seasons. I can't remember how many off the top of my head. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, we both really liked that hire. I actually wanted I actually wanted UCF to hire Brett Lashley a year ago when they hired Gus. Uh, that's beside the point. Last year also. Started- <laughs> oh my God. How many, every conversation. I will say this when they first hired him, if you remember, we had a conversation, yeah. you said that exact thing. And I said, I don't know who this guy is. I don't like it because I don't know anything about him. And then like better, because this is what I do. If I don't know something, I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to find mm-hmm. out about it. I'm going to learn about it. So I had a conversation with him. We did an interview. I learned a lot about where he came from and his mission there. And he told great stories about Gus Malzahn. He said, mm-hmm. people now have no idea. Gus Malzahn used to be mean and tough. And now he is, I see him coaching. And it's like, you guys had no idea what you're dealing with now. He's way nicer. Um, he did say that was hilarious, but I like this guy, Rhett Lashley. I thought to myself after that interview, I like him. He's a nice guy. He's, he's energetic. He's, he's passionate about it. But he's also a, a guy's guy. He's a player's guy. And he's a X's and O's guy. He's very football um, savvy and very smart. Um, yeah. He's exactly what SMU needed at exactly the right time. But that doesn't mean that we're going to see this, you know, where they're going to win the conference just in his first year as head coach. Everyone needs to chill out because it's his first year as head coach. I think, yeah. You do that. <laughs> you must have to look at a lot of the skill position turnover on this offense, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Gray, Grant Calcaterra, Ulysses Bentley, and Reggie Roberson are all gone three of which to graduation slash the NFL, Bentley to the transfer portal. Uh, not that he was a huge part of the production on offense last season because he was dealing with injuries, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but you do have Tanner Mordecai returning as your starting quarterback. And, and that's Pre- all people care about. <laughs> and you got Preston Stone waiting in the wings if there's any amount of fall off at all. Right. Uh, which is, the, you know, we'll see what happens. I've heard really good things about Stone in uh, spring practice summer practices or fall camp, whatever you want to call it, is just starting up now. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But I have heard only great things about Stone, too. So that's a good that's a good problem to have is two very good quarterbacks to choose from. Uh, yeah. One with experience, one with a higher ceiling, I think, is the way most people look at it. Um, but you got to replace the uh, talent at wide receiver that you lost. You just do. Yeah. Yeah, but I to, think they have guys that can do that. I mean, Rashid yeah. Rice is going to be, I think, the number one guy, and he's Safe he's great. Say, yeah. And then they got, you know, Jake Bailey from Rice, Bo Corrales, North Carolina. Uh, a lot of – they plugged Devontae in a lot Dixon, of pieces. Yeah, ton, yeah ton from transfer, Texas. Ton of transfer yeah. portal work on the team. You see that a lot with first-year head coaches, though. There's yeah. a ton of transfer yeah. portal work to uh, – I don't want to say get their guys in necessarily, but get their guys in. You know what I mean? Get guys who want to be in their system, get guys who want to play for them. Because, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you find, when you get there. Maybe you get there and you go, oh man, I thought there'd be more natural talent at this position. Let me get a few guys in real quick. You know? I I really think they're reloaded at running back too. Like, and that's something Mm -hmm. I probably didn't touch on as much in my running back article as I should have. Uh, Thank you to the people on Twitter that called me out for that. But they, you know, you lose Ulysses Bentley and you think, okay, what's next? But Trey Siggers, uh, he's the return, yeah. Daniel. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah, Trey Siggers is your top returning back from last season, like I said, because mm-hmm. Bentley, the, the more talented back, in my opinion, was missing time. Uh, you also uh-huh. have, uh, sorry, Connor Wheaton or, or Kamar Wheaton, my handwriting. Kamar Wheaton. Mm-hmm. My handwriting, transfer. Hand, handwriting <laughs> betrayed me once again. I got you. <laughs> uh, who was a former five star? He's transferring. Yes. In. So we'll see what he can do. I, so, it was a good offensive line last year, too. They got more transfers coming in to bolster it. I think the offense is still going to be very good. Yeah, so that, they will be deadly. They've... That leads to the same question that we had with Memphis. <laughs> What's going on on defense? What's going on with the defense? I mean, they allowed 415 yards and 28 points per game last year. Doing okay against the run, but just getting shredded in the passing game, which is funny because that's what they do to other teams. So it's really... 
it's like who can do more damage yeah. in the air when they play yeah you know it's they're going to be running a 425 this season mm-hmm. which means you're going to have more like four defense backs and one guy who's kind of like a hybrid linebacker defensive back and nickel or whatever different teams have a different word for it but that means you're gonna have to put guys you're expecting to be playing in space and you need fast guys to play in that system because you know, i can clog up the box it's i will say this tricky. it was if ugly tackling last year just no wrapping up really bad form and technique so we need to see that tightened the heck up this year is just better tackling technique, better tackling. And honestly, I think my guy who I'm excited to watch, um, who's new to the mix, uh, ULM Nick Roberts. Uh, I think he's going to be one of those guys who's going to start wrapping up on people. Um, so I'm excited. I, I'm ex- I think it's going to be better. I don't think they're going to be anywhere near where they need to be mm-hmm. to win the conference, just based on the fact that, you're starting uh, over yeah. with some stuff and that's what it is. But yeah. Same thing we said about Memphis. You're getting a new coaching staff in its mm-hmm. entirety here. It takes time. The, the language is different. The relationships you have to be built. It, it just, it does take time. Uh, yeah. So year one's always tricky under a head coach. You know, you mm-hmm. can Luke fickle won four games this first year at Cincinnati. It doesn't mean it's going to be bad long-term. And I'm not even saying that they're going to be a four, one team. I think they're going to a bowl for sure. Yeah. But like, which I and think it, would be a measure of success for Lashley in his first year. He doesn't need to win the conference. He doesn't even need to get to the championship game. Having a winning record, going to a bowl game in your first year, that's a, that's a big that's deal. A good, that is. That's the first yeah. step. And that's what I'm saying. Though, is I think this is a staff in a school that has a ton of potential long-term to be the best program in the AAC, frankly. Especially yeah. you know once we see the changeover to what the AAC looks like in 2023 rather than now, I think – they should be the best program in it. They've got the best resources out of any of the teams that'll be in it. They've got the best geography. They've got the best history of all the schools left over. Basically. I don't see why they wouldn't be the best. You know, what's funny is when I talked to Lashley, obviously all the questions center around the TCU game and the matchup with his former, yeah. you know, coach and all that stuff in the cross town rivalry. But something that I just kind of dawned on me is this game you know, everybody has Cincinnati circled because they're like the you know gold standard in the mm-hmm. conference. And that's what everyone's trying to be. But I didn't realize that SMU and Cincinnati are one in five. So 48-14 is what they did to them last year. 42-13 oh, yeah. is what they did in 2020. That's, I wonder okay. if that's I, a game that these guys are like, we would love to get some revenge in this game. I would think so. And I think I know why that mm-hmm. Cincinnati was able to do that. They had an NFL secondary that SMU couldn't throw into. That was mm-hmm. all it took was SMU couldn't move the ball because they couldn't throw into the secondary. And it made, it just made their offense meh and their defense yeah. continued to be itself. So when you have a mediocre defense that's on the field even more now, because well, the offense isn't getting it done because they're facing an NFL secondary rather than an AAC one. Yeah. It kind of compounds the issue, you know, but well, under, under Sunny Dykes, I mean, yeah, not to cut you off, but under under Sunny Dykes, they had a mm-hmm. terrible time in big games against big name opponents, uh, ranked opponents, uh, games that could potentially send them to the conference championship, bowl games. They were terrible in all of those under Sunny Dykes. So that's something you need to improve in too. Yeah, hundred percent true. You look at their schedule, and I think that's one of the the other things that's going to make it extremely tough for them because the schedule is not easy. I'm going to read this one since you've done the others. They start off strong at North Texas, which is just at first blush is like, no one cares, but Texas cares. The state of Texas cares when you play other schools from Texas. And the future of the AAC. Again, that's what same thing as Memphis. It's interesting because it's a future AAC game. It is interesting. Then they get Lamar at home. They have to go to Maryland, which after seeing that guy's tweet today, I, I've always thought Maryland was underrated, and I think Mike Loxley is going to do great things there. I did watch them play Kennesaw State this last year, and it was rough. Or it was Kent, it was Kent State, sorry. Um, to Kent State a, was or, good. To Respect a, Kent State. Respect the flag. I do. And, and Tiger Vilo, you were everyone was excited to see him. He did look great, but the team wasn't there. So, yeah. but at Maryland is not easy. It's not an easy place to travel to to then play. I will say the atmosphere isn't much because the fans they don't show out from what I've heard. Um, it's tough then to they care get TCU seven every year. I guess that stadium's gorgeous. Like if I were out there in Baltimore and I'm not doing anything on a Friday night, Saturday night, I'd be going to a, to a Maryland game. 
It's a really nice stadium. You just can't let your friends uh, see you go there. <laughs> you get SMU heads home to take on TCU, which of course is circled um, on the calendar for everybody. But then they go to UCF. Now, Red Lashley had a lot of things to say about UCF. He's excited to play against his old, you know, mentor Gus Malzahn. So that's going to be interesting. But he said he likes playing there. He's played, he's coached there before. Um, it's he loves the environment. He loves how brutal the fans are. He thrives on it. So if I'm UCF, before that game, I'm telling my fans, don't come hard. Don't heckle these guys. Don't feed into it. Because no. he said that's what, yeah. No, that's not, that's not how you re- react. Let's though, go. Just like, uh, don't be the politest you've ever been and be, throw a wrench in his plan and be so polite that they're thrown off kilter and like, what? What is this? That would yeah. be wild. And not to cut off your schedule reading here, but this You're that three-game stretch you just read off Maryland, TCU, UCF is super interesting. Yeah. Because the TCU is. game is sandwiched in between them. Uh when you travel to Maryland, a Big Ten team with a lot of raw talent, are you looking past them at that TCU game? Then depending on what happens against TCU, and it could be either result, what's your emotional state traveling to UCF? I think those are really interesting questions to follow SMU in that period. Back to you. Yeah. Uh, then you get Navy and Cincinnati back-to-back at home, which, okay, they're at home, but – you know, Navy beats you up, especially the mismatch yeah. of those teams are. And then obviously Cincinnati. Cincinnati right team. after Navy is tough. Yeah, that's tough. That's a and tough then you go thing. to Tulsa, also a disruptive team, not an easy trip. And then you get Houston at home. So I really think that TCU, UCF, Navy, Cincinnati, Tulsa, Houston, that's a brutal midseason stretch. It is. Just nonstop. You better be, you better have your strength game on point with no injuries coming into that. Yeah, that's going to be a really tough stretch to get through. I mean, I, they're not going to get through it unscathed. I don't think. And I think we can both agree on that. But it's going to be a tough stretch to get through feeling good about yourself because it's just going to be – you're going to get beat up going through it. That's all there is to it, you know? Yes. And then you get a little bit of a breath uh, at South Florida, which you don't think is going to be that big a deal. I think they're going to be better than people think. But USF we'll that. has talent. I don't – no, that means they're going to win a lot of games. Uh, anyways. We'll, we'll get to them when we preview the Bulls uh, later on. Then they finish up at Tulane and at home against Memphis. So, I, you know. I, yeah, I mean, I think you really – it depends on how that stretch in the middle goes. But those last three games are all very winnable, especially since you get Memphis in Dallas rather than on the road. Uh you might really need to win those games depending on how that stretch in the middle of the year goes. But again, and part of what I think it's so take this as year one for Brett Lashley and give him a chance if six and six in a bowl is what happens, mm-hmm. you should be perfectly content with that as an SMU fan is, you know, that is a really tough schedule. It just is. Very tough, very you know? tough, but no, no. we'll see. You know, I think they're going to be young. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be, you know, voracious actually is the word I would use, but is, is how they play football sustainable. Are they going to get too beat up because they're not a traditional tough hitting team? Can they stay healthy all the way through the season? I mean, there's questions. We don't know much about the strength training. I don't really know anything and we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. And again, there's just so many questions top to bottom because it is a completely new staff. It just, you know, and that's just impossible to really say. It just, I like them. I like the raw talent, especially on offense. I like the new coaching staff. I think they're going bowling. It's a really tough thing to predict when you've got a brand new staff. And which again, I think makes them very interesting to watch though at the same time. Yeah, it's going to be, if anything, it's going to be um, a hell of a time to watch. They also, same kicker and punter, Brendan Hall is returning. He is a sophomore. So that's good. He's not a true freshman anymore. You know, he's um, up to at least. Yeah. Are you making yeah. any special teams? teams Sorry. Uh, no, you're you good. That's I would love to be out there for the TCU one, but I might be catching TCU at Colorado in that week one. So, I mean, again, another school I want to get out maybe? to see. Cincy maybe. Yeah, maybe. I hate, I'm not, I don't want to go to any Cincinnati games. That's my, that's you're my weird. You're a weird group this year. <laughs> Yeah, it was just unpleasant last year when we went to the Notre Dame one. They were um, unpleasant to kind of work with and unpleasant 
the, the interaction with the players, they were very, I don't know, maybe it'll be different this year. Obviously I'm going to give them a shot, but um, it was, it was not yeah. great. My we'll photographer had not a great experience. So we just, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Absolutely. Got anything yeah. to add? Fun fact for SMU, uh, opponents are two for two on onside kicks against them. SMU is zero for zero. So maybe, mm. you know, this is the year we try see an onside kick. a try and onside kick in a game that's close. I, I was promised by Rhett Lashley that there will be a fullback on the roster at some point if they find, you know, the right guy. But he did promise that he was going to be looking for that. So um, keep your eyes peeled for a fullback. Fingers on the crossed that SMU. they find the right guy then. Yeah, that's the hope. It's gotta be a fullback. How can you not in the Texas. state of Texas? Yeah, yeah exactly, got, exactly. Somewhere out in West Texas, they still got a fullback. Literally, my boyfriend who played football in high school is a fullback. So mm-hmm. I'm like everybody, in, and he's from Texas. Uh, I should say that, I guess. Um, so, I feel like you know, every send him over. He's probably still got eligibility. Right? <laughs> he might. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a good question. He program. would. He would love to suit up again and just, you know, be, but I think he's too old now. It's oh, just too much. That age where you hit the wall and all of a sudden you're like, I'm done. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> we we woke up the other morning and both had like back pain, which is like lower back pain for no reason. Honey, I had shoulder pain the other week for no Yeah, like, like what is that? Yeah. Like your time. body just starts betraying you. It's rejected. Crazy. My body rejected me as a person. Yeah, that's yeah. what's happening. So I'm not even that old. It shouldn't be happening. We're halfway through our season previews. We right? are more yeah. than halfway. We've done six out of 11. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying them. If there's anything we're leaving out that you want to hear, make sure you tweet at us, Underdog Dynasty, or you can find me on Twitter at MLM, E M I L N E M, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter, not on Instagram. Nope. Never. Terrible app. Uh, anyways. <laughs> We're we'll all, be back yeah. next week. And I think we're doing, we haven't decided format yet. So next week's going to be a surprise. We're either going to hit yeah, we're, the T schools or, or we're going to hit the alphabetical well, order. We don't know. Well, yeah, we have to figure out what we're doing. We, we might did, switch it up. I think it depends on what we want to do for the last week for a theme. That's yeah. all. I know. All right. We'll have to, we're going to make it special. If we haven't hit your school yet and there's something you want to know or have It'll a question, happen. a burning question about your school, please tweet it at us and let us know so we can include it in our preview. And we hope you're enjoying these and uh, we'll we're see you next too. week. <laughs> All right. Bye.